Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I'm so excited to have Matt Miller on the show. Matt Miller was a teacher in West Central Indiana, and he infused technology and innovative teaching methods in his classes for more than 10 years. Now, Matt is a presenter, blogger, podcaster, and author of three books, including Ditch That Textbook, Revolutionize Your Classroom, and co-author of Ditch That Homework. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And Matt, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and today I would love to discuss your initiative on ditching textbooks and homework and how it may impact our educational leaders. So how did you go from the classroom to leading this charge? I I really didn't know that this was this was going to be a thing and I didn't know that it was going to end up consuming my life the way that it has. So so I taught high school Spanish for 11 years. I was, you know, totally totally happy doing that. After about 4 or 5 years or so, I started realizing that doing the traditional teach by the textbook, go through all the chapters and answer the discussion questions at the end, that approach for my students in my Spanish classes was not producing fluent speakers of Spanish somehow, you know, surprisingly, it just, it doesn't work that way. So I really didn't know, like, you know, I, I knew that that wasn't working and I knew that I wanted to try something else. I just started experimenting with things, you know, started using some technology in different ways, started teaching my students through conversational Spanish and storytelling and just used a wide variety of things. And I started to realize more and more that the things that were working were not things out of my textbook. And that's not to say that there aren't valuable things in textbooks and that textbooks can't be resources, but I learned that I needed to quit following it every single step. And I needed to use my unique innate gifts as a teacher to connect with my students and to provide the kind of learning environment for them so that they could thrive. And less and less and less did that depend on my textbooks until eventually at one point I was like, what do I need these things for? So we put them up and that's how my textbooks got ditched. So that was in my own class. To answer the second part of your question is how did this become kind of like a thing? I felt like I had been helped so much by people out in the blogosphere and on Twitter, you know, like um, Vicki Davis, the cool cat teacher, and John Spencer on his blog, Education Rethink. And there was just a handful of them that I just, I, I like read every single word that they wrote. And I thought, now that I'm starting to feel like I've, I'm starting to get my feet under me a little bit, now it's my turn to give back. If anything's working for me, maybe I ought to share it with others. And so it started with a free wordpress.com blog, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, I just decided to start writing about what I was trying in my class, whether it was succeeding or not, and what I was learning. Sometimes it was about my failures. Sometimes it was about things that I didn't know about. And I just felt like it was helpful for me. And later on, I learned that it was helpful for other people for me to learn that way. I mean, that's really all that it was, was it was just being brave to try something different and then once I tried it, sharing my experience. And, you know, that's both of those things are really something that anybody can do. So I think that's a very interesting concept. I've heard you speak multiple times and I love your book. 
and I consider you a leader in education. Do you ever feel like, yeah, I'm a leader in this realm? You know, I feel like <laughs> I, I finally started to feel like that a little bit more after people had said it. Mm. But I never really set out to be a leader. I set out to do the best that I could do. I set out to be a learner. I set out to connect with my kids. After I started blogging, I set out to help other people. And I started to realize that all of those things set me in a position to be a leader. I wonder how many people take that route to leadership is that they want to help and they want to serve and they want to do the best that they can do, but they don't intend to be leaders, so to speak. But I guess those are kind of qualities of a leader, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, sort of in a roundabout way, maybe it's the term that I had the trouble with. I wonder, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you questions or not, but <laughs> you know, I've, you've, you've talked to a lot of leaders before. Do you think that, that maybe that's the case with other ones? Yeah, I think everyone's path is extremely different. I think that's the most enjoyable aspect of me sitting on this end is I get to hear all these different stories on how someone kind of rose to this point of leadership. Some sought it out from a small child and some kind of grew into that role. So that's mm -hmm. what's fun for me. And hopefully it's fun for my listeners too, is just to see that there's not just one journey. There's not just one path from point A to point B that everyone has their own route to get to influencing and inspiring other people. And that kind of leads me to my next question too, though, is just kind of the, on the other end of it, did you have anyone that said, I don't understand this concept. How is this possibly going to work in my classroom? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I've had plenty of those conversations. Um, there have been, you know, there have been messages on Twitter. There have been comments at teaching conferences, even in my own district. I remember giving a presentation or talking about the, the idea of maybe the textbook shouldn't be the t sole focus. And one of the one of the teachers that I had worked, you know, shoulder to shoulder with for several years piped up and he said, yeah, but if you don't use textbooks, then how are the kids going to be ready for college? <laughs> like um, there's so many things I could say about that and we don't have enough time and people don't want to hear me ramble on about this. So, yeah, there have been there have been lots of um, there's been lots of pushback to that. And I think some of it is you know, just, just sort of a lack of vision of how things could be done differently. It's really easy for me to say this because I've been through it and I can kind of see the end part, but I think sometimes it's fear too, just like who moved my cheese, you know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> the things have been the way that they've been for so long and now I just can't quite see how it could be done differently. Yeah, there's there's been, there's been plenty of pushback in that way. So I want to talk about your new book on Ditch That Homework. What is that book all about and how might it help our aspiring leaders? The book, <laughs> that one has created a lot of interesting conversations too. You mm -hmm. know, when, when I wrote these two books, when I um, titled my blog, Ditch That Textbook, and then I wrote a book called Ditch That Homework, I wasn't trying to pick fights, I promise. <laughs> I didn't realize how um, controversial to some people that these topics would be. But Ditch That Homework really is a book written by, by me and my co-author, Alice Keeler, who you can find on Twitter and has a great blog, a uh, former math teacher. It was a book written by both of us for teachers that are frustrated with, with homework. You know, maybe they're not getting the results out of it that they hope for, or maybe they're just 
ready to try something different. Maybe traditional homework just is not working for their kids and they're ready to, to do something different. And so we use this book, first of all, to explain sort of our side of things of like why we're frustrated with homework, but of 100% of the book, that's maybe the first 5% of it. And then the rest of it, the next 95% of the book is basically, what do we do now? <laughs> in fact, we have one page in the book that has great big letters on it and says, what do we do now? And so the whole rest of the book is just ways that the classroom can change and ways that our practice can change to get results without having to focus on homework. And so some of it can be helping students to create with what they've learned to demonstrate their understanding, you know, making something instead of filling something out. Some of it relies on cognitive science and helping us to learn the ways that our brain craves instead of the ways that we have been teaching that may not be focused on all that. Some of it is helping students to be less compliant on their teacher and trying to be more independent in their learning. You know, there's a variety of different approaches that we touch on. And what's interesting is that it comes from two very different perspectives because my perspective on education is in some ways very different than my co-author Alice Keeler's perspective. Uh, you know, we taught different subjects. We're passionate about different things. I'm a little more of a peacemaker and Alice is a little bit more of a fireball, I think. And so we kind of have those two different ways about us. Uh, but we both feel that, you know, in a lot of ways, homework isn't getting the results that everybody believes that it is, I think, in a lot of ways, that there are better ways to do it. And we're kind of stuck in tradition. And that's that was our goal, really, was to um, spark conversation and to have people think differently about it and maybe try something different. And so I'm just thinking as an assistant principal myself, I love all the things that you've said so far for a administrator looking to make some of these implementations based on what you just said. What are some first steps that a leader can do on their campus to help push these initiatives? Well, I'll, I'll give you one example of something that I've seen that has not worked. Okay. Or at least I've seen lots of examples of where it has not worked. And that is where a school leader gets the idea that either homework should be done across the board or shouldn't be done across the board. And they decide to mandate it for everyone. And I have seen it on both sides of the equation where, you know, where they've said there will be daily homework and the teachers push back against that. Or I've even seen in some places where they've said there will be no homework and teachers push back against that. You know, just from the examples that, that I've seen, uh, one of the ways to help it succeed either way is for teachers to have agency, you know, to have some autonomy, uh, to decide what's best for their students. Now, giving them lots of examples of how it could be done or how it could be done better or how some people have done it successfully um, you know, a lot of times that helps them to have that vision and to be willing to, to try something different. So I think that's one way not to do it is to mandate. Mm -hmm. And I think one way to do it, this kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier, is to promote a culture of trust, you know, of trusting the teachers, trusting that they are professionals 
and that they've done this for a while and that they know their students and they know their subject matter and that if they have reasons for it and if they can show that uh, one way works, then giving them that trust. You know, I know for me as a teacher, whenever I've had administrators, school leaders that believed in me and trusted me and gave me the freedom to do what I thought was best for kids. And if I could prove that it was best for kids, that just lit me on fire. You know, um, it just, uh, it, it empowered me to, to go above and beyond and try new things. Um, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, if you've, if you've ever read uh, Drive by Dan Pink, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got those three things that boost motivation. You've got autonomy, you know, the, the freedom to, uh, to direct your own, to direct your own path. There's a lot of motivation in that. I know there has been for me. So um, anyway, the, <laughs> it's kind of a long answer to your short question, but I think there, there are ways to do it and ways not to do it. And those are some, some ideas anyway. I think that one of the biggest barriers, in my opinion anyway, is when a leader tries to assume that everybody's experience is the same as their experience. So if in this case, a school leader was a classroom teacher and had a certain experience and it worked really well for them or it worked really poorly for them, just to assume that that's the way that it needs to be across the board. I don't know about you, but I've seen so many times in my own class, in my own schools, but also with hearing from other teachers where when a school leader just says, you know, here's exactly how it's going to be. We're going to do this across the board, or this is what's good for kids. And they may be very well intentioned, but when there's only one voice in the conversation, then all of a sudden that's you know, that, that's an awful lot to assume off of that one voice. So um, that's one of the things that in whatever leadership role I've had, I've tried to make sure as best as possible, and I don't always do it very well, that, you know, there's a wide variety of uh, perspectives on, on the subject. So what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus that you were extremely proud of? So again, for me, as um, in my my role as an educator on a campus, it goes back to being in the classroom. I've got to say that you know it it definitely has to do with doing some instructional things that were not that common. You know, for instance, I'd mentioned earlier, you know, one of the things I love doing was was doing conversational Spanish with my students. So a lot of times that would be doing storytelling to practice some of the things that we are we're learning or, um, you know, doing some question and answers where the students would respond back. And that obviously was not your stereotypical verb conjugations and worksheets and comprehension questions and workbook pages type of thing. You know, that was my step to going outside of my comfort zone and trying something different. And, um, you know, whether you're a classroom teacher or whether you're an AP or a principal or whatever leadership role it is that you have, you know, I think that's a shared experience for everybody that when we have a vision and we want to try something and we've got to get buy-in. In my case, it was getting buy-in for my students. You know, a lot of times for school leaders, you know, the buy-in is from the teachers um, and from the students sometimes, you know, there's that, 
vision and hoping that the vision works with everybody else and that they're willing to get on board and being willing to be flexible enough so that if your vision isn't the best idea, if it doesn't turn out, you know, sometimes in theory, it looks really good. And sometimes in practice, it doesn't work out that, that well, uh, you know, having that flexibility to, to change things around. You know, that's, that's something that I saw in that uh, risk that I was willing to take in the classroom. And I want to go back to the conversation that we had earlier about you finally feeling like you're a leader in education. I'm just curious, in your evolution of a leader, what were some of the skills that were the most difficult to develop? That's a good question. You know, I think for me, one of the one of the skills that I've had the hardest time developing and I still struggle with right now is confidence. Having the vision, but then having the confidence to pull the trigger and to know that that is that that's right, you know, that that's something, and that's not to say that you can't course correct as you go, but, you know, having that confidence and trusting yourself, I still struggle with it a lot. You know, whenever I work with teachers, from being on stage and doing a keynote speech to, you know, doing a workshop with a small group of them, either way, it's trusting myself and trusting my instincts. And it's, it's awfully hard when you get up in front of, in the case of a, like a keynote speech, you know, having 200 sets of eyes in front of you. And a lot of times, you know, they're kind of like got their arms crossed and they've got that, you know, like resting serious face. Um, and you're not sure exactly what that means. And you get up there and you have that question, that doubt. It's the same as if you're, you know, looking at the, the staff at your school, or if you're looking at a class of kids and they're just kind of like, it's like, you've got this idea and you're, excited about it and you know the possibility of it and you know you want to try it it's going to be great but there's that moment you know that that crucial moment where it goes from being a thought in your head to being words out of your mouth and a reality in front of other people and once you cross over that line that's the scariest moment you know um trying to see is this going to resonate with other people and i've had the hardest time um my wife could tell you stories of all of the discussions that we've had. And she's like, why don't you just trust yourself? Why don't you just trust what you, you know, what you believe in? I think for me, I always worry that there's a better way I could have said it, or I see that there are two different sides to the equation. I think it's important to know that there are two different sides to it. You know, if you, if you believe in something, you know, for me, it's, believing that there's a better way to do instruction and that there's a better way to engage kids. And there are two sides to that. You know, some people will disagree with it. And I know that there will be people in the audience that will disagree with it. But I think confidence is going forward despite that. You know, it's going forward knowing that this may not be for everybody. This may not be for everybody in the room. But I believe that it's best for the kids and best for education or best for your building or whatever. And you've got to have that confidence. I think even if you don't feel it, you've still got to act on it, I think. And I want to talk about the confidence that you had to go from the classroom to multimedia everything. I don't know. You're, yeah. you're an author. It's hard to put a name on this title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do it all. So going from the classroom to private industry is a scary thing. So I was yeah. curious to see if you thought that it was going to be close to education or if it is turned out to be something completely different. Yeah. That's, that's been, that has been a big jump. Um, 
because yeah, all I really knew in my, you know, in my adult career life was standing in front of students and, you know, working with them. And um, then the bell would ring and another group of students would come in and it was like 11 years in a row. It was exactly like that. And then, then things all of a sudden change. And yeah, it is, it's, it's been a very different experience. Um, you know, there's that, the, the first, I think the first disconnect that I saw, maybe not disconnect, but the big shift that I saw, the first one was the structure, you know, the structure of class begins at this time and class ends at this time. And we have four minute passing periods and you have to go in between class for four minutes and you have this many minutes to eat lunch. And then all of a sudden it goes to, um, how am I going to make the most of the time that I've got? And then sometimes the question is, and this is very much a question I think for school leaders and classroom teachers alike is how, not just how can I make the most of all of the time that I have, but how can I rein myself in and create boundaries? You know, there's that whole, what do I want to accomplish and how can I get it done? And there's that, that drive. And that forces us, I think, to stretch ourselves beyond the amount of time that we should spend in the classroom, in our office, you know, at our jobs. And so then all of a sudden other things start getting squeezed out. And so then the question becomes, how can I set boundaries for myself so that I can work within those and also, you know, have a life um, and know my family and all of that? Um I heard a really good message um, from a uh, pastor in the Atlanta area named Andy Stanley. And um, the title of it was Choosing to Cheat. And this was a big uh, lesson for me as a, as a teacher, but it also is now. And it says, it basically says, you have all of these things that you want to do. You know, you want to get your, um, you know, all of your tests and quizzes graded with good feedback back to your students and you want to spend time doing extracurriculars and you want to meet with, you know, if you're a school leader, you want to meet with the, the teachers in their classrooms and get out in the classroom so that you also have all these other things to do. All of those things add up to more than 100%, especially when you factor in your family and sleep mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the mental, you know, self-care things that go into all of that. All of that adds up to more than 100%. And he said, you have to choose what you're going to cheat on or otherwise it gets chosen for you. And that was one of the big lessons I think that I had to learn in this new role is that there is only 100% of your time. And so much of it does have to go to sleep and the rest of it is up to you. And you can either choose what goes in the rest of that 100% or it gets chosen for you. And I've spent so many, so many days in the classroom and so many days outside of it, letting it be in chosen for me. And I've got to decide it's not the path of least resistance because that doesn't pick the best way of spending that 100%. It's actively deciding what gets inside of my 100%. I think that's probably one of the hardest things that I have had as a teacher and as a, 
you know, whatever it is that I do <laughs> on, on some of my titles, I call myself the head textbook ditcher. So like <laughs> as the head textbook ditcher, it's like, what, what am I going to do with that 100%? And how can I relentlessly, ruthlessly, scrupulously pick the best things to go inside of that 100% and then stand by my decision and fight against anything that tries to wiggle its way into my 100%. And that's probably one of the biggest struggles that I've had that I still struggle with. And it is like a put on the boots and put on the armor and get out the sword and the helmet type of battle, like every single day to keep that 100%. So I think that's probably the hardest thing. I have to mention this because you are a fellow podcaster. So can you just take a moment and share what your podcast is all about? Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you for letting me plug it just a little bit. The podcast is called the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. It was started by a fellow um, presenter educator named Casey Bell, who runs the Shake Up Learning blog. And both of us um, just sort of saw a need in the podcasting world for um you know, if you are a Google using educator, what kind of resources do you need? We'll have some sort of featured content where we'll either share ideas of how you can use Google in the classroom. We'll talk to educators that use it sometimes. Of course, we take, um, you know, questions and ideas from our listeners and share some resources out there on the web. So with all of those things together, that's what we, um, you know, our goal is to try to support the tribe, you know, the Google teacher tribe by um, giving them some things that they can use in their classrooms related to Google. So um, easiest way to find it is just to go to googleteachertribe.com. And in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? The most enjoyable aspect of leadership is seeing the change. I think that's the most enjoyable one. There's a quote of mine, or a quote of mine, no. A quote that I have used many times. It's in my heart so much, it feels like it's mine. Yes. Like I own it because it's some, but it's somebody else's. It's a quote by Tom Stoppard. And he said, words are sacred. They deserve respect. If you get the right ones in the right order, you can nudge the world a little bit. And I think that the words that we have as leaders, you know, whether they're spoken to uh, those that work for us or they're written in blog posts and books, or if they're spoken on podcasts or on social media or whatever, you know, we all have words. And if we get the right ones and the right order, we really can nudge the world a little bit. And when you see that nudge happen and you see the impact that it has on other people, like that's why you do it you know that's why i do it anyway is to see the nudge happen and to see the impact that comes after it and matt how can our listeners connect with you on social media um so i am on twitter a lot uh the best way to get to me there is to go um, my twitter handle is j matt miller so that's letter j matt with two t's miller um i'm also very regular on the ditch book twitter hashtag um so you can definitely go check that out and then i'm on all of the social medias or at least a lot of them at um ditch that textbook on instagram and facebook and pinterest and youtube and all of that stuff and of course ditch that textbook.com is the blog where you know we're publishing things you know three or four times a week new ideas so lots and lots of things to go check out when it comes to all of that 
Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Matt, thank you so much for being on the program. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much.